1978 Superman movie, Five Minutes at a Time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly. And joining me through this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Howdy, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Oh, very well. Now, this is this is a big one. Woo-hoo! This is a big one. This is minutes 46 through 50 of the movie. It opens with uh, Jor-El taking uh, Kal-El through a journey through space where they will examine the human heart. And it closes with Perry White, editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, illuminating to Lois Lane why he hired Clark Kent. So for those of you that know this movie like we do, you know that in between these two moments, there's one of the biggest scenes of the movie coming. This is mm-hmm. super exciting. I would argue, well, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it, but this, this is a big moment, big, big moment in the movie. So anyway, we said we open up with uh, Clark going through, or Clark Kal-El really at this point, and he's going through time and space. And I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, but because it's Jarrell says it right here, that this journey that he goes on takes 12 years. I had, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but I didn't know it because it just it's shocking to me that he is away from everybody from Ma Kent for twelve years. And it's like, does that mean that he literally didn't speak to Ma Kent for twelve years? Did he get to come back? Like, were there like, you know, were there like sessions? You know, did he or, or was he literally gone for twelve solid years? I don't know. You know, it's like, did he come home like? You know, over Christmas break, and he's like, "Oh, this semester, Mom, we're talking about immortality, and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, whether it's, you know, it's basis in fact, and you know, I'll let, <laughs> you know." Cal gains the uh, the freshman fifteen. You know, it's it's all very upsetting. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, he comes back home, and he suddenly doesn't look like Jeff East with the plastic nose. Exactly, he looks like Chris right. Reeve. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, you know that part. Always, I mean, honestly, as a kid, it kind of bothered me, I guess, because I did think about, well, what about Ma Kent? And, and then as I got older, I thought, you know, well, well, where's he get his journalism degree? You know, yeah, and seriously, I, yeah. did, I mean, like, did, did, you know, did he take a correspondence course while he was at the fortress from, you know, Smallville Community College? I mean, <laughs> just, what happens if Ma Kent got sick? You know, yeah. like I, what so if she I, died. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm taking it at that. It's not literal that like it, he isn't literally gone for 12 years. And this, this, this journey took 12 years. Like that's how long he was in the fortress, but it was, there were stages. There was, you know, right. like, it was like, okay, we're done. And, and the, the crystals disappear and Clark and he can get to do what he wants. That's how I, that's how I'm choosing to take it because it's like, you can't literally have Clark be gone for 12. What if somebody discovered the fortress? In the course of 12 years. I mean, what happened to that? You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know for whatever reason, it just never dawned on me that it was like that long. But of course it is because it's like when we see uh, – I have just been informed by my better half that there is such a thing as planetary time where, of mm. course, like, you know, the time that's that – the time that they're taking out in outer space may not be 12 years of our literal time, which mm. is, of course makes sense. So it may be to Jor-El – it's 12 years, but to us humans, it's like three years or something like that. Because we already know that the, the time and space thing is a little messed up because, you know, we, we know, like, in the, in the early parts of the movie, Jor-El says, I will have been dead many thousands of your years, but yet he's telling Clark about Einstein. Right. How can he tell him about Einstein if the destruction of Krypton is thousands of years in our past? So obviously yeah. we're playing a little fast and loose with some of this stuff. 
Well, he says they 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 go through the barrier, the fiery barrier of of, of Earth's galaxy, and then they go to Krypton. So right. it's like Krypton. There's 28 known galaxies uh, according to uh, yeah, the encyclopedia. That's an interesting little factoid. Yeah, Encyclopedia Kryptonica that uh, <laughs> Jor-El has there. You know, it's got all the knowledge from the 28 known galaxies uh, in the crystals. You know, uh, but. So Krypton's like the next galaxy over, but it you know took him like it, it was like a thousand years ago our time, and you gotta assume that he came through some kind of you know warp like yep, yep, yep. type thing you know like that's I mean that's what they do now that's what they've done on Smallville that's what they've done Supergirl you know that's just part of it now so um, you know usually brings Kryptonite meteors with them and stuff uh, but yeah it, yeah that, that's a good uh, Tracy made a good point that the whole timey wiminess. Uh, there's Doctor Who for you. Uh, it all is is uh, is a little strange, but yeah, that it's kind of weird that they put like, boom, it's twelve years. So that technically, okay, if you want to be literal about it, he's thirty years old, which right. Christopher Reed wasn't even thirty years old yet. I think right. he was like what twenty six or something like that. Which I can't, yeah. You think about like what you looked like when you were twenty six, and what I looked like when I was twenty six, and here he was Superman at twenty six years old. Oh my god, I didn't look like that at twenty. And well, I never looked like Christopher Reeve, but I certainly never looked. I was never ready to be in a Superman costume. Uh, I, I I like all the effects of them traveling through space. It's very sort of typical stuff you saw at the time with a lot of like light refractions and the kind of stuff that um, Stanley Kubrick used at the end of two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. But it also reminds me a lot of when um, the Enterprise goes back. In time in Star Trek Four, where they mm-hmm. go to they go to uh, the 20th century, where it's, you just get these kind of weird color effects, and it's probably relatively cheap to do, but it, it works just fine. It, it 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 gives the whole sense of like you know universal wonder and all that kind of stuff. Oh, didn't they? I think we talked about this before, like in the beginning of the movie. But then they take like like water and drop it into a petri dish full of like algae and single cell organisms, yeah. and just watch it like move it around and expand, and that's why it gets the swirling some of the swirling crazy colors that you see. And it really does look like they're going through like some kind of nebula, uh, you know, out in space or some kind of cloud or something. It, it's, it really is effective. I mean, it gives it that in the days before, you know, CGI, it, it really does give it a really nice feeling that you really are going through some going through unknown space. So, you don't. I mean, who knows what's out there? You know, I mean, it's 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 really sharp and it holds up well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks terrific. It looks absolutely terrific. So it ends with uh, Jor-El. We see a, an actual shot of Marlon Brando, which, of course, morphs into the sort of crystalline mask face thing, uh, which is, uh, you know, presumably like maybe some sort of statuary of Jor-El somewhere. And then there's the great reveal. And I love the, the filmmaking of this. I love that the mask gets closer to the camera and it turns around. It does a 180. And then we see the reveal of the fortress through the eye hole. Of one of the mm-hmm. masks, which is just a really nice shot. I don't know who designed that, obviously, but that's a just a really great reveal. And then we get our first shot of the man himself, Christopher Reeve, in Superman costume in the Fortress of Solitude. The music starts to play. He stands there for a full second while the John music, John Williams music starts to play, and then boom, he takes off. Now, according to the commentary track, which I will constantly be referring to. I'm going to stop apologizing <laughs> for that. But no. Richard Donner gives Christopher Reeve credit by saying it was Chris Reeve who banked as mm-hmm. he was being thrown. And it just gave it that extra level of realism that, you know, he's not just flying a straight line. 
he's flying sort of around a curve. And so we get this very brief shot of Superman. I mean, if you want to freeze it like we're doing, you see him pretty clearly, but it goes by very quickly. So it's like a great, it's a perfect reveal in that, you know, like you see it, but you don't. Because it just goes by so fast. You're just getting this little hint of, oh my God, that's Superman. We're finally getting to Superman. Yeah, and, and the music is like the brassiest version yeah. of the Superman theme in any movie, I think. And it just, it's so triumphant. It's like, we're finally here. You know, I mean, even, even the film's admitting, here he is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you've, waited, and, you've waited 47 minutes, people, but finally we're giving it to you. Superman. Yeah, here, here's Superman in costume, you know. And, and when Christopher Reeve flies at the camera and banks to the left, he's almost creating like a wipe. Like, cause mm-hmm. it's like, cause it goes from the fortress straight to the streets of Metropolis. And it, it's that, and if he did that on his own, which I've heard Donner say that, and I've heard other people say that, but so I have to believe, Hey, that's true. But then that's just a great accident and a great bit of accidental filmmaking because it, it works so well to transition uh, from one part of the movie to the other, you know, and it's, it, yeah, I mean, I know, I know when we had Bob Fisher on last time, he talked about everybody in the, in the audience cheered at when he was at the freaking premiere of Superman the movie in Washington D.C. And and yeah, I mean, you get that, you get that feeling that there he is, even though we don't get to spend, we don't get to stay with him. What other movie gives you like two big reveals of your of your main character? Yeah. I mean, it, but they make it work, and uh, partially because. We're going to get to meet the other side of his character here in a moment. But, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I never really thought about that. You're right that he, by, by having him come up so close to the camera, it does create a, a wipe, a nice, you know, George Lucas-y wipe of just swiping off the camera. And then we cut right to Metropolis, which is uh, New York City, obviously, posing for, posing as Metropolis. And if you, if you notice, and maybe I'm, you know, at the risk of overthinking it, but that, of course, that's why we're here is the first shot we get of Metropolis is from the back of a taxi cab. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the taxi driver is on the left-hand side of the screen. He is entirely in silhouette, and we see the roof of the cab, and that's dark because it's you know, dark inside the cab. So the only light we're getting is through the windshield of the city, and it mimics the shot of looking at the fortress through the eye hole of the mask. It's a mm. very similar shot where you're getting a dark, heavy frame at the top and on the left. And what you're supposed to be looking at is kind of off to the right and in the center. And now that, sh- that same setup of light and dark is repeated right after here with the shot of Metropolis. Yeah, you know, and at some point, Joriel said to some something, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like, you know, you'll see, you know, your life through my eyes and I'll see mine through yours or something like that. So that... I, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but that's kind of interesting that they did that. What, you're seeing Superman through the first time through Jor-El's eyes, like you mm-hmm. said, and now and now we're in Metropolis, and it's a POV of Clark Kent. Right. I mean, the right. the first shots are are pretty much a POV shot of it as he yep. gets out of the cab and heads toward the. Is that the New York Daily News building? It's is that the New York? I was going to mention that. Yeah, it's the New York Daily News building subbing for the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the uh, again in the commentary, Tom Mankiewicz talks about that. Uh, a lot of critics were harsh on this movie, saying that it seems very disjointed and that 
uh, Krypton. It's very stiff and and very stately. And then you've got to the then you then you have like the Norman Rockwell, Andrew Wyeth stuff in Smallville. And then the minute it gets to Metropolis, it becomes a comic book. And Mankiewicz said that was intentional. It was built as three separate pieces of a movie, and that it's mm-hmm. you know. The, the dialogue in Krypton is very stiff and then everything is Krypton is warm hearted and a little, maybe a little schmaltzy. But then when we get to Metropolis, bang, it becomes like a rat-a-tat-tat, you know, comic book. And it, it was intentional. And that's, that's where this movie is going to be now for the remaining, you know, hundred plus minutes is going to be this setting. So yeah, we get the, the shot of, of, uh, of Clark, you know, again, it's his point of view, which is a nice thing. And we're going through New York city as it looked in 1970. And, you know, there were, I mean, look, this movie, I think this movie's a classic. We obviously both think this movie's a classic. That's why we're here. But it'll be funny to think about how movie, like, there were movies from the 70s and the 60s that aren't necessarily so great, but still contain a lot of interest because they, were, they have location scenes. And they're showing us what the world looked like back then, mm-hmm. which are now gone. You know, that world is gone. And it'll be interesting to see what movies that are, you know, that have been made nowadays that we as modern audiences don't think are that great, but maybe 20 years from now will be beloved because people will be like, wow, that's what, that's what New York looked like in 2017. It doesn't look like that anymore, but that's what it looks like to us. It's like no big deal. But so here we're getting some nice shots of what New York city slash metropolis looked like in 1977. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, it's, it's, in in this movie, I think this, I think because now they didn't go like pure period and try to make it look like it was the nineteen thirties or forties and you know or even the fifties like the TV show, but they did they did try to make it a little more timeless looking than the seventies really were. Yes, you know it doesn't look overly 70s no there's no big know. wide lapels and uh, yeah i mean clark clark kent's got his fedora his old-timey fedora yeah it's it's it, it, yeah exactly and and jimmy has got his bow tie and back then bow ties weren't cool uh you yeah. know <laughs> matt smith uh but uh <laughs> so um yeah it's uh they did a, I, I don't i guess that was intentional uh uh you know, with Yvonne Blake, the the costume designer, I guess she uh, did that on purpose, and I'm glad she did because you know that can take you out of stuff. Because in the '70s, in particular, is is a hard decade to deal with that. Because right. Right. let's face it, the fashions were pretty horrible. They're right. fun, horrible, but they're pretty horrible in the '70s, as our buddy. You know, Brian Hyler shows us every day on Platt Stallions. Platt Stallions, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right, so. <laughs> okay, now we're looking through Jimmy's eyes through the viewfinder of his camera. Yeah, oh, I love this whole sequence. I think, again, this is a brilliant way of, of bringing us into the Daily Planet through his camera finder. The first look, first shot we get is of the Daily Planet masthead. Uh, and then we get our first shot of Margot Kidder coming into, literally coming into focus as Lois Lane. And I love that. I mean, he loved Margot Kidder. Everybody loves Margot Kidder, but Donner apparently had like a really particularly great relationship with her. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's kind of fun that they give her a glamor shot within the movie because it's Jimmy asking her to pose. So it's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, they've come, they've come up with a just a justification for why she flips her hair back and gives this big smile. And it's just, it's a great first shot of Lois Lane. Yeah, it is. It's it's a nice intro, and it and it 
and they do a really good job through this sequence of making you feel like these guys have worked together for a long time together. You know, they're very comfortable with one another. Uh, you know, uh, Lois is working on her, uh, story and Jimmy has to Jimmy who's you know at least 10 15 years younger than her has to tell her how to spell something yeah yeah exactly uh, and that's such a cute little quirk that Lois is this great reporter and she has a really bad time spelling thing yeah. uh, she's a horrible speller a great reporter horrible horrible speller so that that's a fun such a fun little quirk yeah, that was something that, uh, again, Mankiewicz threw in, is that they liked the idea that Lois was writing, as he put it, like these lurid stories. Because after the tea and bloodletting, she asks how many peas, or Perry says, talks about that, how many peas in Rapist. So she's yeah. writing these kind of like, almost like clickbait articles, you know, where it's all like really grungy stuff for the, for the Daily Planet. So I think that's, that it's a, it, it gives you an insight to all of them very quickly. Which I like, yeah. and so we get in, and, and then she has the the quote where she she quotes Perry back to Jimmy as she's walking through his office door, which is again really cute. You like you said, you really get the idea that these people have all worked together for a long time. Yeah, you get the impression that Lois knows that when she says that a good reporter makes them great at the same time as Perry does. That she has heard him say that <laughs> multiple times, and so she's picked it up, and so he's mentored her. So you get that history. With them, and that and that helps sell how Clark fits into this situation. You know that he's the new guy on the job. You know, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, in the again in the commentary, Richard Donner complains vociferously about the glass doors in Perry's office. And he was just like, you couldn't shoot them. You were constantly catching the camera in their reflection, and he just said, "Oh man!" And they they also joked that that Margot had an impossible time managing. The glass door. She was constantly bumping into it or not pulling it instead of pushing it or whatever. And Mankiewicz tells a great story. He said, if you, he says, uh, I think the phrase he uses, he said, Margot has an inability to deal with the reality of the world or something like that. And he said, if, he said, if you, he said, if you put Margot Kidder in a 50, in a 500 foot room with one trash can, she'll put her foot in it. He said, he said she was just an utter klutz. So she had a real tough time navigating these sets, which I think is really funny. But I love that Perry well, you know, that, only that, one P and rapist. I love that little, great little follow-up to the gag. Yeah, and it's, you know, as she writes her story in Ode to Spring, you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it, 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 and Margaret Kidder brings that, that uh, like, she's like super go-getter, but we'll see that she brings that nervous little girl quality to her version of Lois Lane, especially when it comes to her interactions with Superman, you know. Right. Uh, and, and that, and that only helps sell that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, of course, you know, Perry White, I, I love Jackie Cooper's Perry White. He's, he's gruff, but you know, he's lovable gruff. He's not that eccentrically crazy gruff like J. Jonah Jameson is, you know, he's, 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 he, you know, he's, he's Perry White. He's the way he is in the comic books, you know, and, and, uh, he's got some great little comedy ticks if you really watch, if you watch this, all the movies, but in particular this scene right here, some of the faces he makes in reaction to what the other characters are doing are, are just great. Yeah, he's very funny. And as always, as I like to say on all my shows, it always comes back to MASH. Jackie Cooper directed many episodes of MASH in the early years. So uh, there he is. And of course, he was not originally scheduled to play this part. They had cast uh, Keenan Wynn uh, to play Perry White. And Keenan Wynn had actually flown 
uh, to where wherever they were shooting this, I think somewhere up in Canada or something. And apparently he had a heart attack at the airport um, and uh, never shot, never actually, never really got out of the airport. And apparently, as, as Richard Donner tells it, they, they realized, well, we need a new Perry White. They called Jackie Cooper, and uh, he said, he says, you know, we, uh, I need you, Jackie. You know, I need you, I need you right, right now. And he says, uh, he says uh, you can do it, but you've got to have a passport because we have no time. <laughs> And you hear Jackie Cooper say, well, let me go check. And he says, you can hear, bum, 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 bum. Like he runs upstairs. And he says, he comes back down and he says, I got a passport. And Richard Donner says, great, be here Thursday. And he says, there was a beat. And Cooper goes, today's Thursday. And Donner's like, right. <laughs> so, no time to do it. And, you know, that's kind of, that's the mark of a real professional, that this was a, a, a role that he could throw himself into with no notice and just do so well. Cause I think he's like you, I think he's a terrific Perry White. Oh yeah. I think so too. And, and, you know, and, and it's funny to think, you know, one phone call and he's in a, a four picture deal for him. You know, he's, he's yeah. a character plays over four different films. That's it. That's amazing to think, that's you know, that's his most famous role. It probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah it probably, probably right. Yeah. So after uh, Lois uh, goes off, uh, Lois completely ignores the guy sitting in the chair behind her. She just completely ignores him, which, you know, subtext. And then yeah. we, we get our first shot of uh, Clark Kent, Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent in his giant glasses and his suit. He meets Jimmy Olsen, who was nice enough. And then they do this whole bit with the, uh, Kent, can you open this bottle for me? And here is, you know, we see how fully enmeshed uh, Clark Kent or Superman is in his role as this nebbish because he's pretending he can't open the bottle when we, you know, we all know he can flick it off with his pinky. And uh, he, he, uh, he manages to open it, and Lois has already jimmied it up a bit, so it splashes all over his crotch and on his desk. We have a cut to Jimmy Olsen where he looks kind of embarrassed for, 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 for Clark. And see, we see the role, you know, Clark is, is fully enmeshed in his role. Uh, his persona mm-hmm. is this, you know, kind of hapless guy and... He's kind of guileless because Lois apologizes for him. And he says, well, of course, Lois. Why would anyone want to make uh, fun of a, you know, why would anyone want to make a stranger look like a perfect fool? You know, so it's like yeah. he's, he's non-cynical. He's t- even though he's in the big city, uh, he believes the best out of people. And that's, you know, like, of course, you would never believe that this nebbish could possibly be Superman. Right, exactly. And, and, and I know even people, some people that love Christopher Reeve as Superman, they kind of have a hard time with his Clark Kent. He's too broad. He's too comical, but I have absolutely no problem with it because for the purposes of these movies, the character of Clark Kent didn't have to sell the, he didn't have to carry the series. Not like George Reeves did. Not like even Dean Cain did. Right. Clark Kent was the in between scenes when he wasn't Superman, you know, the Superman character carried these movies. So you could have, they could work on, okay, what makes these two characters different? And Christopher Reeve went with a kind of a Cary Grant approach, as he would put it, and similar to the way Kirk Allen uh, played Clark Kent as well. And it really, I mean, you really do have a hard time. He looks like such a big goofball. He I does. mean, it just, he looks like, he, he's a big guy. Christopher Reeve's like six foot four. And he's big, broad, guy, shouldered guy, and they put him in that suit, and he just—he just looks like this awkward, gangly 
dork of a guy, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he's lovable. You know, he's, he never. I mean, he's a super. He's so nice that you just you can't any, you can't help but like him. I mean, you get the impression through the movies that sometimes some people get annoyed with him because he is just so goofy. But they still actually like him because he, you know, he's he's so just sincerely nice, like you said. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's a brilliant performance and and it, it anytime. And I actually know a guy, and I'm not going to name names because, you know, but I know a guy who's a real tall, real tall guy, and he's actually a pretty important person uh, as far – he's actually a pretty wealthy guy. I'll put it that way. And if you just saw that guy on the street, you would never think that that guy was freaking loaded. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, would, you would never guess that this guy he's, – he's dark-haired, wears glasses, real tall guy. He's got a real goofy charm about him, and – you would never guess that that guy is an important, you know, quote unquote, important person in like business and things. You know what I mean? So I, I whenever anybody that I know says, well, I don't know if that would work. I say, well, what about this guy? You know, because nobody would think unless he told him, oh, well, I'm this. And they'd be like, holy crap, you really? You know, so I I totally buy it. I totally buy that Christopher Reeve selling of his Clark Kent persona. It totally works for me. Does this guy uh, does this guy want to back a podcast network? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I could ask him. <laughs> okay, oh, that would be great, Chris. Uh, no, I, I I agree entirely. I I think he was a, a great Clark Kent, and he's a plausible version of of yeah. He's a big guy, but he's like a big doofus, and he's got to yeah. draw. He's got to draw the, a, a sharp contrast to the you know uh, perfect man of action, which we will be introduced to very shortly. So right near at the end of these five minutes, uh, Perry breaks the news to Lois that uh, Clark is getting the city beat. And there's this great bit of physical comedy where he pushes her out the door. The door, the, the double doors open, swing open. Margot Kidder, Lois Lane is like, wait a minute, Chief, that's my beat. And she turns right around, pushes the doors back open. And apparently, according to Donner, like Margot Kidder had to do this like 500 times. He said she could not get those doors properly so they just could not do it but she's very frustrated that he's giving up her beat and it's these these minutes end with i love that we see clark through the double doors he's just watching what's going on of course we know that he can hear it because he's superman mm-hmm. and uh he can hear all that and it ends with perry explaining the whole litany of reasons why clark is getting and he talks about the sharp punchy prose style and of course in the next five minutes we'll find the real reason why he got this city beat but uh, at least in the beginning he's explaining to lois lane why clark Kent is getting the beat and he's got a great pro style and he's the fastest typist and all this kind of stuff so it's a it's this is this is right out of his girl friday any of those kinds of Ben Hecht, the front page, any of that kind of stuff. This is just so much fun to watch. This is terrific. And I love the, these five minutes literally end at 50-59 of um, Christopher Reeve, Clark Kent, reaching into his breast pocket, which he's going to pull out the piece of paper, which will, of course, have the phone number uh, or the address of his mom. And uh, the, the last second is Margot Kidder doing a classic Liz Lamentina Fey eye roll. When she's getting yeah. the explanation, I love her eye roll. It is comedy gold. Yeah, I, that's great. And there's so many little things when I was watching, even things I didn't pick up before, watching it for this purpose. Jimmy, like when you know Lois blows by Clark, Jimmy actually stands there and kind of hems and haws for a second, and actually picks Clark's hand up and shakes it, mm-hmm. and introduces himself. 
I mean, just little things like that. You know, there's so many nice little character bits that everybody gets in this scene. And then, like I said, the 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 fact that Jackie Cooper makes that when he says, don't call me sugar in the face right. he makes afterwards. Like, I can't believe I just said that, you know, right. just something it's, it's, and of course they got the gag. Don't call me chief from the old TV show. And, you know, he said of saying, don't call me chief. Cause Jimmy calls him chief. He says, don't call me sugar because right. he asked for sugar for his coffee. And then Jimmy stops the coffee boy and says, chief wants sh- uh, yeah. coffee with sugar. Uh, I'll take a tea with lemon. You know I what? I mean, delegates. that's great. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy's like, what am I paying you $40 a week for when I should arrest you for loitering? You know, (laughs) so it's, it's, it's just so well done. It's so well orchestrated. It's so well played. You just instantly like all these characters. And, and even though, you know, we know different versions of these characters, we accept these actors as these characters like instantly, uh, because it is so well done. It's so by the writers, by the director, by Mankiewicz, by Donner, by the actors, it's it's just so well put together. It's it's uh, it's just a joy to watch. I, I loved every second of watching this two or three times for the purposes of this. Yeah, you I mean, know, not, not that I even had to. <laughs> yeah, I mean the movie the movie wouldn't work if you were just twiddling your thumbs waiting until you get to Superman. You know, you could just be like, uh, get to Superman. No, the, all this stuff's really entertaining. These guys all have great chemistry together. Uh, the, 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 these scenes are a real joy. I mean, you're coming for the Superman action stuff, but watching all these guys interact and telling the jokes back and forth, it's, it's a real delight. They're, they're all really fun together. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, you know, this is, this is the, the foundation. I mean, right here is the foundation really of the, the entire Superman movie series. So it's built right here and it's, and it's sturdy, you know. Even when the movies weren't, that foundation was still sturdy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is great. Mankiewicz knew you had to make it all really work, and this stuff all really works. So, it, this is a really tremendous five minutes because we have now moved into a whole other part of the movie. We are now into the Metropolis and the Daily Planet, and it's great stuff. So that's uh, that is going to do it, I guess, for this episode of Superman Movie Minute. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we sign off, Chris? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. All right. So, of course, you can find uh, all the back episodes of Superman Movie Minute on our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. And there, that's where you can find Chris's shows. Chris, what are your shows? Oh, I'm on Supermates with my wife, Cindy. I'm on Batman Nightcast with Ryan Daly. Uh, I occasionally do uh, those wonderful toys on Fire and Water Presents. We do Power Records. I'm all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I do, of course, Fire and Water with Chag, and I do Film and Water and Treasury Cast and Pod Dylan and some other things that we're working on. But, uh, yeah, this is a a Superman Movie Minute. We hope you enjoyed uh, these five minutes. This is great. This this is one of the the great sections of the movie is that that shot of Superman. Uh, I never get tired of looking at that. I I have that on a permanent loop in my brain. So, uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it's just it's, it's great. <laughs> so thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night. <laughs>